from Mark chapter 1, verses 4 through 11, which can be found in your pew Bible and on the screen as well. Please follow along with me. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locust and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Gracious Lord, let the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth be acceptable to you. May I have a mulligan, please? How many of y'all have heard that statement? Raise your hand. And... Was it associated with golf? Was it associated with anything else? Mulligan stew, okay. <laughs> so, if you're, if, I see some raised hands and you play golf, so a mulligan, what is a mulligan? Some of y'all that don't know that. In golf, it's a do-over, all right? So, and typically, um, you know, when you may get, um, a group of guys going out, gals going out, play some recreational golf just for fun, right? So you're not playing for, well, you might be playing for money, but it's not a tournament, it's not official scorekeeping thing. So you go out there and you, you uh, go to the driving range and hit a, few bucket, hit a bucket of balls, get, get loosened up, try to get your swing right and get the ball going in the right path. You might go to the putting range and hit a few putts, and then you finally get to the first tee box Place your tee in, you know, you place your tee, put your ball on the tee, step back, look at the fairway where you want the ball to go, take a few practice swings, and you set up on the ball, you look down the fairway again, you look at the ball, and you swing, and you look at it, you just go, you took, take a look at the ball and see where it's going, and all of a sudden it's going into the path you thought, and all of a sudden it goes, <laughs> I know I've done that plenty of times, what's that called, a slice, or a hook, you know, so. And if, if it's the first hole, you know, you might look at your buddies and say, can, may I have a mulligan, please? And they say, sure, you can have a mulligan. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, if, if we were playing for money, no. <laughs> but, um, yes, so, so you take a mulligan, what does that mean? You put, your, put another ball on the tee, you get down, you swing again. And you watch it, and it goes down the fairway like it was supposed to the first time. And that first shot you, you took, it doesn't count. Otherwise, you say one in the woods, two, on, two drop, and then you're hitting three. This time you're hitting one, and it's hitting your second shot way down the fairway. So that's kind of what a mulligan is, right? It's a second chance, a do-over. 
do-over. Um, so it's a free shot, but you don't get to do that every shot, every time you make a bad shot. You just don't. And in some tournaments, you get to pay for extra mulligans. If it's a fundraising tournament, well, you can buy some mulligans, but but typically you you only you don't you don't abuse it. But we all make mistakes, whether in golf or in life, and sometimes we need a mulligan. We need a second chance. We need a a do-over for a new beginning. So the the lesson for the scripture for the day comes from the Gospel of Mark, and it's about the baptism of Jesus. Last year, the second Sunday after Christmas, the scripture was the same story, but from the Gospel of Matthew. And I gave that message last year as well. The focus last time was on baptism. This time, it's on second chances. So the Bible, we move full of second chances. So I'm going to mention four of those. And starting out with Moses. Moses got at least two second chances. When Moses was a Hebrew born in Egypt, the number of Hebrew people in Egypt had increased to a number that was actually concerning to Pharaoh. He was thinking, well, they could uh, gang up on our enemies and help them and conquer us. So we need to do something about that. We're going to control their population by what? Killing the newborn boys and enslaving them. But what happened for Moses? He got a second chance right off the bat. His mother said, no, I'm not going to let this happen. She put him in a basket and smiled. Pharaoh's daughter saw the basket and took him in. Took this baby in, into the family of, the, of Pharaoh. And he actually became part of their court. So we got a second chance in life there. And, but what happened later is Moses was part of Pharaoh's family, walking through and seeing one of the Egyptian slave masters beating the Hebrews. What did Moses do? Killed, killed that he that Egyptian slave master, and word got around back to Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh was going to take care of Moses. Right, so Moses was able to escape, and he went to Midian, and that's pretty far away. But it's in the near the Saudi Arabian Peninsula, and um, so he lived out there, away from Egypt for forty years. And you've heard of the story of the God speaking out of the burning bush. God spoke to Moses and said, I'm going to call you to go, and your mission is going to be to go to Egypt, talk to Pharaoh, and convince him to let the Hebrew people go. Of course, Moses kind of relented to that. He really didn't want to do that. But God convinced him otherwise. He went So now, and he, and he got the people out, led them to the land, to the promised land, which was the land of Canaan. Now Israel is located in the land of Canaan now. It's where the Hebrews live now, right? At least their country. 
But in the, on a side note to that story, not all of the Hebrews that left Egypt made it to the promised land. In fact, Moses didn't make it to the promised land. He got right up to it. But the remaining Hebrews did go to the promised land. So another second chance we have in the Bible is Jonah. Jonah and the whale. You probably remember that story as well. Jonah was called by to give a message. Did y'all hear me? Kind of going up and down? Okay. People of Nineveh, uh, the Ninevites, were doing things that were displeasing to God, including the murder of Hebrews. It was actually skinning them alive. Very rough, very rough people. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh and give them the message that he was disple- God was displeased, displeased with them and that they would be overtaken in 40 days. What did Jonah do? He ran. <laughs> he didn't run to Nineveh, though. He ran to the coast, got on the ship, and sailing to Tarshish. And you may have, if you remember the, not the sermon, but what Stephen was reading a while ago, we had that Tarshish. Where is Tarshish? Anybody know? It's on the southern coast of Spain along the Atlantic coast. And from there to Israel is a long way across the Mediterranean. So he was on a ship going to Tarshish to get away from God because he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He knew what Nineveh was doing to Hebrew people. What happened when he was on his way to Tarshish? A big storm came up, concerned to the crew. They thought they were going to die. Jonah explained to them, they said, well, I'm sorry. It's my fault. I'm running from God. God is punishing us because I'm running from God. Throw me over the board and you'll be safe. At first they said, no, we can't do that. But the storm kept coming. Step banging the boat around. What did, okay, so finally the crew relented. They threw Jonah overboard. But God was not done with Jonah yet. What happened next? God, God provided a fish, a whale. Swallowed Noah. Jonah. Swallowed Jonah, took him, and then took Jonah to land. Took him back to the coast of Israel. Spit him out on the beach. And what did Jonah do from there? He said, well, I know what my mission is now. I better go. I better go to Nineveh. So he goes to Nineveh and gives them the message that God is going to destroy their country, send them off. And they say, oh, no, we can't have that. They relented. They repented of their sins. And what did God do after that? God decided, well, maybe I'm not going to destroy them. Golly, Jonah got a little upset about that. You see me all the way over here giving the message to destroy him, and you didn't do it. But Jonah got a second chances, right? Jonah got second chances. What about that shepherd boy named David? Did he get any second chances? 
got several. One I was going to tell you about is when he was king. He had everything he needed, everything he wanted. He had wealth, security, power, and a large harem. But one night at his palace, he looks out in the distance over the town, and he sees Bathsheba bathing. He gets his guards to go call Bathsheba. She comes. Bathsheba sleeps with David. She becomes pregnant. And Bathsheba was already married. The wife of Uriah, who was at a battle. They were fighting. So Uriah was away. Bathsheba sends to David a note. Hey, I'm pregnant. What does David do? Uh-oh. I'm in trouble. I've got to I gotta go get Uriah. Bring him back. Have him spend the night at his house. right? Sleep with Bathsheba and everything will be fine. Uriah comes back. They bring him back. He sleeps outside. He said, I cannot sleep with my wife while my friends are out fighting. You know, it's just not... I got a duty. I can't do that. Well, so he didn't. He sent him back. And what did David do after that? He got with his guards, his generals, and said, You got to put Uriah on the front line of the battle. For what reason? So that he would be killed. And Uriah was killed at the front of the battle. Well, so then. What happened after that? David took Bathsheba to be his wife. She had a child, had a boy. And Nathan was a prophet at the time. He got the word from God said, you need to go speak to David. I don't like what he did. So Nathan went to David and said, God says he doesn't like what you did. (laughs) The boy ended up getting sick and dying. But Bathsheba, still David's wife, ended up having several other sons, including Solomon, who became the king after David. And he actually built the first temple. David got a few second chances there, didn't he? In Matthew 26, we have the message of Peter. Peter, apostle of Jesus. We have the story of the Last Supper, of Jesus being betrayed by Judas, of Jesus telling Peter that Peter would deny him three times before the night was over, and of Jesus being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, and of Peter then denying knowing Jesus three times. In John chapter 21, after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus speaks to Peter about this. And he asked Peter three times, do you love me? Three times, Peter's answer was what? You know I do. You know I love you. In that manner, Jesus forgave Peter and gave Peter his calling to build the church with the words, feed my sheep. In his forgiveness, Jesus gave Peter a second chance. There are many other stories in the Bible about second chances. 
So where does that leave us? In Romans chapter 7, Paul wrote, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am merely a human. I have been sold as a slave to sin. In fact, I don't understand why I act the way I do. I don't do what I know is right. I do the things I hate. Although I don't do what I know is right, I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing these evil things. The sin that lives in me is what does them. I know that my selfish desires won't let me do anything that is good. Even when I want to do right, I cannot. Instead of doing what I know is right, I do wrong. With my whole heart, I agree with the law of God. But in every part of me, I discover something fighting against my mind. It makes me a prisoner of sin that controls everything I do. What a miserable person I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is doomed to die? Thank God, Jesus Christ will rescue me. So those are the words of Paul that he wrote to the Romans. What about a second chance for me? Believe me when I say I've made my share of mistakes. Those mistakes may have been either accidental or of own purpose. My actions leading to those mistakes may have been well thought out or they may have occurred on the spur of the moment driven by emotion and desire with little thought. Many of those mistakes were not without some form of negative consequence. But here I am today, able to stand at this podium, able to speak to you, to look at you, to hear you, rather than sharing the ground with others that have gone on before me. I've been given many second chances by others and by God. And I'm grateful for those second chances. With my mistakes and my second chances, I understand that others can make mistakes also. And others need second chances. This past Thursday during our men's Bible study, we discussed patience and impatience. And how impatience is pushed in our society today. Waiting in line at the grocery store. Do you ever get impatient? Hitting a traffic jam on your way north on I-77. Oh, I'm going to be late. Do you get impatient? You know, many things are out of our control. Right? For those situations, we do need patience. We also need forgiveness, understanding, and compassion for others. We need second chances. We need to receive second chances, and we need to give second chances. But I want to state clearly, there are times when second chances should not be given without restrictions, limitations, or punishment. You know, especially when someone is injured right, on purpose, potentially not on purpose, but sometimes we don't. Right? In Ephesians 2, Paul wrote, In the past you were dead because you sinned and fought against God. You followed the ways of this world and obeyed the devil. 
we were also ruled by the selfish desires of our bodies and minds. We made God angry, and we were going to be punished like everyone else. But God was merciful. We were dead because of our sins, but God loved us so much that he made us alive with Christ. And God's wonderful kindness is what saves you. God raised us from death to life with Christ Jesus. And he has given us a place beside Christ in heaven. God did this so that in the future world, that would be us, he could show how truly good and kind he is to us because of what Jesus Christ did, has done. You were saved by faith in God who treats us much better than we deserve. This is God's gift to you and not anything you have done on your own. God planned for us to do good things and to live as he has always wanted us to live. That's why he sent Christ Jesus to make us who we are. Through the saving grace available through faith in Jesus Christ, we are given a new life, a second chance, a new beginning. This is January 8th, 2024. How are you doing with the New Year's resolutions? Perhaps you need a mulligan. Perhaps you need to give someone else a mulligan. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.